Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello and welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I am your host, Davey Blackburn. Joining me, my co-host, Emily. Hello. How are you, Emily? I'm really good. Awesome. Really awesome. well. I'm, I'm really, good. I'm good. You are good and you're doing well. <laughs> yes, both of those things, everyone. You're, yes, all of the above. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? Uh, I don't know what I should say now. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what the most appropriate <laughs> thing to say is in that response to that. I am well. Mm. I am well. It's kind of like that mantra. You remember when, I don't know if they still do this, but Walgreens, they would like send you off, you know, after you did your purchase and they would say, be well. Huh. It was like this, you know, whole thing that they this corporate initiative okay. they started. And I just remember that feeling really weird. Yeah, just... I don't know that one I've ever shopped at Walgreens. What? And two, if I would be old enough to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of like Chick-fil-A where every time you say thank you, they say my, my pleasure. My pleasure, right? It became that. <laughs> right. And so maybe they were trying to jump on the bandwagon, be well. Be well. I think if I worked at Chick-fil-A, I would always say my pleasure with an accent there like it is. that. My pleasure. You know what's interesting is we inadvertently just segued into our interview today because the guy that we're interviewing, he helps pastors and churches be well. Oh uh, Yeah, that right? is true. Yeah, he does that. And not just that, but helps people be well. Mm -hmm. But we have an incredible interview with Ken Roberts who spent a weekend with us. Yeah. And it's always nice to have people who... They can, we can like bring them in and they can spend some time with us as a church. And man, personally, we just really benefited, Christy and I did, from sitting down mm -hmm. with he and his wife Saturday night and yeah. just having some good long dialogue with them. And he spoke at our church and then he spent some time with our elders. He spent some time with our staff yeah. and he podcasted with us and he just, <laughs> man, he served our community yeah, really well. Yeah, he invested well. in our team a lot. I know. It mm -hmm. was really awesome. And, um, and so, yeah, it was just a, I can't wait for you to hear his story. Yeah. Um, can't wait for you to hear what he has to say. But Emily, I wanted to ask you, in his time that he spent with the staff, what were what was something that maybe you really gleaned from? Yeah, so he spent some time talking about um, that there are barriers that we're always going to come up against, um, whether that's in our life or in our ministry or whatever avenue yeah. we're like functioning in, um, that you're always going to hit barriers. And so he like talked about some ways to identify those barriers. But also, I don't know, one of the things that was um, really, I don't want to say influential, but like just a thought I hadn't really thought of before was that it's not a bad thing to plateau in a certain area of your life. Um, really what that means or what it could mean is that like Jesus just hasn't showed you what your next step is yeah. yet and that you're called to like whatever it is that you're doing and just can continue to do it well. Um, and then once that season is over and the Lord's like calling you to potentially take a next step, then we might hit barriers. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like in a lot of areas of my life right now and in our life as a church, like the Lord's calling us to the next level mm. um, or to take a next step. And so um, I think that there are a lot of barriers that yeah. we're working against. And so he just gave us some like helpful tools right. to work through those barriers, but then also just really taught us to expect attacks yeah. of the enemy, um, attacks from other people around us when we're about to like break through a barrier. Um, because obviously like Satan doesn't want us to to, to take that next right. step. And so um, I feel like that's something I've been chewing on since Ken was here with our team. Um, but just honestly, like that's just put a lot of things in perspective yeah. for me. Yeah. And those barriers are always going to come with some strain, with some pain, yeah. with some adversity. It's going to be marked by that. But as you push through those things, then you do have a breakthrough through right. that barrier. And uh, and Ken definitely has some story of uh, stories of pain. Um, I, I won't get into much of the details of his story. I'll let him take care of that. But I met this guy through a pastor's gathering several months ago with ARC, Association okay. of Related Churches. And I was asked to go and do this thing down in Charleston and sit down with about 15 pastors, just kind of have a round table and just talk about church health, mm -hmm. church growth, pastor health. I think that was really the bait and switch. They were like, hey, come down and play golf with us and fish with us. And then let's just see how healthy you are. Are you yeah, healthy? Let's right. talk about how healthy you are. And so it was good to sit around and talk about ministry pain and health and mm -hmm. growth with uh, with other pastors. But honestly, when I got there, I was not excited about being there because 
if, if you're a pastor and you're listening, but really if you're anybody who's leading something, what those can often turn into is comparison contests. Yeah. And so you say, well, hey, how are you doing? And the response is like, well, this is how our church is doing numerically, right? And that's right. the pressure that you feel. Yeah. And, and your identity gets caught up in kind of the performance of everything mm-hmm. or like how... Sometimes it's hard to celebrate with people when yeah. you're not where they are. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Here's someone who's like, seems like they're killing it. The highlights of their life are being exposed and you're comparing it with the low lights of your life. Right. And it's like, oh, well, that's awesome, man. But I feel like I'm over here struggling away. And mm-hmm. so I just was like, really, I was kind of in a tired season. I was in the hotel room before we were going to do dinner with everybody. And I was like, Lord, I just need you to show me why am I, why am I here? Mm-hmm. Like, do you have a purpose for me to be here? Cause I could be back with my, my son at the time. I wasn't, I wasn't remarried. So I could be back with my son. I could be back with my church. Like, but yeah. I'm here. Why am I here? And we got into the lobby as we're walking out and kind of this line, this guy grabs the last four of us to go in his car. Okay. And as I'm sitting in the backseat of the car, one of the guys, one of the pastors, he kind of knew our story. And so he starts asking me about Amanda's trial and when that was going to take place and when the book was going to be released. And, um, and the guy in the front, pa- the front passenger seat, he goes, he starts asking me all these questions. Like they were mm-hmm. very invasive questions. It was almost like he knew exactly the road I had gone down. Yeah. And so I asked him, I was like, Ken, what, or what, did, I, didn't, I don't even know if I knew his name at the time, but assume I did. Ken, why do you ask me these questions? And so he said, let me tell you my story. He tells me the story about how he was pastoring a church and he lost his wife in a car wreck. Wow. Um, his wife of 25 years. Mm-hmm. And man, I immediately knew, Lord, this is why you have me here. Right. This is why I'm here. I'm supposed to have this divine connection with this guy and he's going to be able to help me in this next season. And hopefully I can help him in this next season. And hopefully his interview is also going to help you guys in this next season of whatever it is that you, you are in. And so, man, it's just, uh, it's a great interview. Before we do that though, mm-hmm. what I would love to do is I would love to ask you for your help. If you're a listener of this, if you haven't gone and rated and reviewed the podcast, I would love to ask you to do that. Subscribe to it too. Hit that subscribe button so that you get updates on whenever these things are released. We try to do it as consistent as possible, but man, we want that to be the first thing in your inbox when it gets released. But man, these ratings and reviews really help us. It helps to get exposure to help more and more people. Um, In February, we had 24,000 downloads of the podcast. Isn't that crazy? And it's just just climbing. I know that that's because of the help of you guys, our community. And uh, we were looking through some of the reviews. I think you've got one of the reviews, Emily, that you can read. I do. Um, This one is from Heather RP. Um, And she says, this podcast is as raw, real, and open as it gets when talking about pain in in a sincere and purposeful way. I've listened to it my whole drive across the country and catch different glimpses or parts of my own pain in many of their stories. I can't wait to stop driving so I can sit down and process what I've learned. Grateful this team is choosing to share this powerful stuff. It's almost as if I'm even a part of this community, even though I'm so far away, which is a really neat thing for somebody who doesn't have that kind of community. Mm, That's amazing. That is. Yeah, I don't know if we necessarily started with this kind of a vision of like having a community of people that were listening. But when when we got into it, I was like, man, I... I want this to feel like a family, like you guys are our extended family. Yeah. Um, and, and we are a community. And that's just a really cool thing that she would put that into language. And yeah, that's thanks, our Heather, for sharing with us. Again, that encourages us to just keep going and keep sharing people's stories and honestly gives us boldness or courage to ask people to share their stories right. and helps us give them vision for why it is important to share the pain that we've experienced and talk about the purpose that we're seeing on the other side. Yeah, it's so good. So family... Let's listen to this interview with Ken Roberts. Ken, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Hey, it is great, great, great to be here, Davey. Man, thanks. it's awesome to have you. The last time we were together, we were playing around a golf. Right. I'm afraid I did not fare too well with that. Oh, you did, we did okay. <laughs> we did. Yeah. It was all yeah, right. It was fun. But uh, man, we're just we're excited to have you Thanks. here this weekend. Excited to have you on the podcast. Yeah. And um, man, I just want you to start out by giving the listener a little bit of your story because you and I have some very similar parallel stories, mm-hmm. uh, which is why I wanted you to come and talk about this and why I think it was such a divine thing, a divine appointment when you and I met. But um, why, why don't you start out? Give us give us a little bit of context as to who you are now, right? So what are you mm-hmm. doing? And yep. then let's jump back from there and let's talk a little bit about your story. Okay. 
Uh, I pastored for uh, 33 years. Uh, 25 of those years was in Cleveland, Ohio, same church, and then wow. Min- Minneapolis for about eight years. 25 years at the same church. Same church, yeah. Hashtag goals. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it, w- it, was, it, was a good, it was a good run. Wow. And then Minneapolis for eight years. Okay. Uh, and then about a year and a half ago, I actually transitioned out of being a, a senior leader and moved into what uh, many people call in leadership development into convergence or my sweet spot. Okay. Doing the right thing at the right place at the right time. And I'm 61 years of age uh, as the, uh, you know, recording of this podcast. And I knew that for the next 10, 15 years, I wanted to really be uh, doing what was really purposeful for me. Yeah. So I moved into that. And really right now I'm speaking, training, uh, doing some writing and coaching. And wow. I, I particularly help in, in a couple of different areas. I really help people, uh, you know, kind of live life on purpose, mm. focus their life so that they can live a fruitful life. And especially people who are followers through Jesus Christ, that's a real passion of mine. You know, we only, only got one life. Yeah. We don't know when it's going to end. Right. You know, let's do something with it. So I help people in that area. Uh, I help leaders live well while they lead well. Mm. And I know we're going to go down that track a little bit, but yeah. just, you know, it's, it's hard to stay in this game, remain uh, viable, remain authentic, yep. remain alive. And so I, I help now a lot of leaders. How can we do this over the long haul? Man. And then the third thing I do a lot, and uh, I do, I partner with local churches really to help them for their ongoing health and growth. Yep. And the health is really from the inside out stuff. So I love what I'm doing. I live back in Cleveland now. Uh, my family's there, have a grandson now. So I'm, uh, you know, just living in a great uh, great uh, time and season of my life. Yeah, so. that's awesome. I would say, I'm sitting here listening to it, I would say you're living like the dream of every senior pastor. You know, I think so. I mean, <laughs> I, live up on, I live up on the lake, Lake Erie. Yeah. My, my office uh, looks outside Lake Erie, Man. you know. I'm able to write, travel. So I, I am in a good place. Well, yeah. I, you, I don't tell this a lot. I have to watch where I tell this. Yeah. So pastors don't jump out a window or something. No know? joke. No joke. Well, I mean, that's so, the thing. You, you, you spent... A lot of time in the trenches, right. 25 years at one church, eight years at another church. Yep. So you're spending, you know, you, you planted roots, mm-hmm. which is, I think to me, that's like my my plan. That's my goal. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be something I would love. The Lord would uh, allow me to plant here in Indianapolis for mm-hmm. 40 years. That would yeah. be my dream. Yeah. I hear about all these church planters that, and, and to each his own, I think some people are gifted and graced with this, but plant a church pastor it for two or three years, go plant another church, pastor it for two or three years. I'm like, I don't know how you could do that because of all the pain and the hardship and the the sweat equity that's poured into a church plant. But for me, I'm like, this, what a dream to pastor and plant in uh, one one area for mm-hmm. a while, maybe, and then maybe a second area, right? But your whole life is spent in two areas. And then when you retire, quote unquote, you're just doing ministry. You're helping to equip other people to do ministry and helping the next generation in ministry. That's incredible. Yeah, it's it's a it's a sweet time. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So um, you you're in a sweet season right now, but mm-hmm. it's it, obviously as all life goes, right? right? We talk about in the podcast here that that the only common denominator for life is pain. Right. Right. Everybody goes through it. Everybody deals with it. Um, Your life has not always been a sweet season. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk to me about, there's one specific pivotal moment that happened in your life that I think was a big turning point. Kind of lead me up to that when your first wife passed away and then how all of that took place. Yeah. And and, and what, what was that transition like? Yeah, I agree. And some of the stuff I've I've written as a result of what I've gone through, I say the same thing you just said is, you know, uh, live long enough and we all go through unexpected turns yeah. in life. You know, it just, it just comes to us. Mine was, it's interesting, uh, as we're airing this or as we're uh, recording this podcast, it's uh, March 17th. My uh, 14th year uh, just happened last Friday of what I traveled through. Mm. It, uh, it was on a Tuesday morning, March 9th, 2004. Mm. Monday had always been my day off of work, and so Tuesday was kind of picking it back up. Uh, I got up early, went downstairs, put on the coffee, and my wife came down to the living room to join me 30 minutes later. And we were having our normal routine. We were reading the Word. We were thinking about the week. We were having our coffee together. Just, you know, who's coming over? Where should the kids be on Thursday night? What's happening Wednesday night? What's going to happen this weekend? Normal conversation. We had our coffee into that time, went back upstairs, and we got ready for our day. And uh, I kissed her and told her I loved her. Headed off to the health club. She was on her way to a women's Bible study that she went to every other Tuesday morning. She dropped my daughter off. Her name was Nicole, who was one of the receptionists at the church uh, where I pastored. Yeah. So she dropped her off, headed to the uh, women's Bible study. And I had just finished working out, was heading home, going to shower before I went to the office. I get a call on my cell phone, and it's my daughter, Nicole. Mm. 
And Nicole says, hey, Dad, uh, the hospital just called, and they're looking for you. And they, she said, Mom's had an accident. Now, they didn't know they got my daughter. They simply found my work number somehow, mm-hmm. called, and she happened to be the receptionist. She knew my cell phone number, so she called me. So that's what happened. I was almost home and stopped by and picked up my son. And I said, we've got to go to the hospital. Went to the hospital. Had no idea if they were checking her out for whiplash, broken arm, and you know, had no idea really what the wreck was the severity of it, mm-hmm. walked into the emergency room, and my wife, her name was Debbie. We had been married 25 years. Mm. At the age of 47, was laying in front of me in a coma. Mm. That was on a Tuesday. The story is they believe she had a brain aneurysm. She was going down a two-lane road, 35 yeah. miles an hour, blacked out, went through a red light. It was kind of a blind spot there. There was a convenience store and a red light, and a young man on his way to work was heading west. She was heading south. And he didn't see her, 25 miles an hour, hitting the side door. And uh, just through head trauma, brain trauma, uh, she was pronounced dead Wow. March 12th, 2004. Wow. So at this point, I just walked past the 14th year of that happening. And yeah. so my whole world was turned upside down. Had two kids at home at the time, 21 and 19. Wow. I'm in the middle of seven kids. And in all of our family, we had never had a tragedy yet. Wow. So here I am at the age of 47, pastoring a large and growing church in the Cleveland area, uh, almost touching your dreams. Yeah, absolutely. We had fought for, you know, our ministry and what we were seeing, and yeah. we, were, we had just moved into a new building. I could tell you about that in just a moment. Mm. You know, just in our own life, our kids were doing well. They were kind of coming into their own, you know, and in one moment, uh, you know, your world world can be turned upside down. So uh, that's my unexpected turn. Mm. That's my pain and uh, the most life-shaping experience, you know, I have ever been through in my life. Yeah. Talk talk to me about, because, you you know, you just use that phrase, touching, almost touching your dreams. Mm. I mean, you were, at the time, how long had you been pastoring at the time? I've been pastoring there 23 years. 23 years. Yeah, 22 years. At this yep, church, yep. and and you're you're seeing this thing grow yeah, here's tremendously. The, yeah, here's the backstory of that, Davey, is that we were in a high school auditorium for 20 years. Wow. Church plants. Hold set on, up, set up, tear down yeah, for 20 every, years. Every Sunday morning yeah, for 20 years. Uh, uh, you, yeah. you need to tell my church that. I'm going to do that. I thought about that when I walked in for 20 <laughs> oh, years. 20 years. Holy and that church, cow. that church had grown to, to 1,500 in a high school auditorium. Wow. But every, we were, so we, we finally bought land, built yeah. a building, you know. So for 20 years, we've been trying to get into a building. We had just been in a new building, 38-acre campus, uh, 60,000 square foot building, stay yeah. at the auditorium. And, you know, just our dream. Right. We've been in it for, we'd only been in it for nine months mm. when this happened. Wow. Second thing that occurred in a backstory is someone close to the la- uh, our new building uh, had just given us land for myself and my wife, Debbie. Out of the blue, somebody in our church, they had an extra lot. Mm-hmm. They weren't going to build on it. They said, we want to give this to you. So we were already having blueprints made up for our dream home. Mm. We had had a dream house about having people over. We're both, we were both very yep. creative people. We yep. loved having artists in, talking about political things, worldview things, yep. you know, things like that. We just loved that type of environment. And we were getting ready to build our dream home. Wow. And in a moment, the things that we had worked for for 25 years together yeah. turned upside down. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I imagine... You know, Ken, the more I interact with you, the more you seem a lot like me, that you are a dreamer. Mm-hmm. Always You've got been. these big plans, these yep. big dreams, and that you enjoy dreaming with your wife. So yep. when your wife passed away, it wasn't just your best friend. It wasn't just your confidant. It wasn't just your ministry partner. It wasn't yep. just your lover. It was, it, it was also the dreams that you carried with her and that yep. you guys dreamt together that also died. How did you sort through all of that? Well, I think one of the biggest uh, questions that went to my head was, you know, uh, would I ever have a meaningful marriage again mm. at this stage of life? You're, you feel like you're starting over. Yeah. You know, I'm, yeah. I was almost 50. You feel like you're starting over again. Would you ever have a meaningful marriage again? And would you ever have, ever have a meaningful ministry again? Mm. That was a really, really big thing that uh, I think I had to deal with just in my own head. Yeah. Because uh, you, see, you see your dream just, just kind of float away. Right. So when this when this happens, yes. right? This the immediate what? Let's talk about the immediate fallout of okay. that in mm-hmm. your life personally, and then how did that affect what you what you did? Because I think that's what a lot of times we don't, you know. I feel like when when my wife passed away, 
being the senior pastor, I had a little bit of the a luxury of being able to step away for a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, because I was kind of the boss. Um, and, and I say luxury, oftentimes in a smaller church, you're not able to have that because you're still having to step in. And, and But we had some great overseers and people that came in and really helped me to get some time to catch my breath and figure out what it, what what is life next? Like, what does that look like? What's my... What's my new normal look like? How do I take care of my son? You know, you've got this, but a lot of people don't have that luxury. You know, they're uh-huh. back at work for, I don't know, the next week or two weeks or the next month or something, and they're still dealing with some of the fallout personally, emotionally that they're, you know, from their tragedy or whatever it is, whether right. it's loss or whatever kind of pain they're experiencing. Uh-huh. What did that look like for you within the first couple of months? What was your, what was your, um, as you started trying to press into healing? What was your life like the next couple months, the fallout of that? I was fortunate. We had built on a team model. So we did have uh-huh. a, we had a point leader, but we had a team model. Many of us had been in ministry together, uh, you know, 18 years. So we were we were close. We were tight. Uh, it, was, it wasn't built on one person, one personality. Mm-hmm. So that helped us a lot in that whole element. Another thing that happened is a um, very successful businessman in the area who I knew, he did not attend our church, but I knew him well, came in and told our, our, our elders to uh, open up a separate bank account and whatever I needed the next year, he wanted to fund it for me. Wow. So I, I had the space yep. by work and by finances to be able to do what I needed to do. Yeah. So I would work a little bit because that was helpful, you mm-hmm. know, just to be around people and mm-hmm. have something meaningful. And then I would just, uh, I would, the stress level would be too much. I couldn't respond. Yep. I would need to go away. I would take a vacation. I'd go with my kids. I'd go to a family reunion. Mm. So for me, I had to do the different things. So I was very fortunate to that for that. I know that, know that doesn't happen to with a lot of people. Yeah. You know, uh, I think for me, I immediately went into three things. And I'm kind of a thinker. I, I kind of go in this, this route. But I knew from the very beginning, I had to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. And by that, I meant spiritually, emotionally, physically. And I really made that a, a priority. So I, I was a, I was the number one patient, yep. yeah. And I knew in my head that I was, and right. so I gave time and focus and energy for that. And that that can seem a little selfish, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Especially if you're used to serving other people, exactly. and you're constantly you're as a pastor, you're saying, "Hey, yeah. w- life's about living about something that's yeah. more than yourself." Yeah. So let's spend our lives serving other people. Yeah. When you're all of a sudden thrust in a situation like this, and really, you're right. The the correct antidote for this is to first make sure that you're healthy because otherwise you have nothing left to be able to give for other people. You can't continue to do ministry or pour out to other people. How do you deal though with this, this conflict of going, man, this feels selfish, but I know I've got to take care of myself here. And where's the tension in that? Probably a couple of things. I had a lot of people in our spiritual community, our church there that came to me and said, you've carried us for many years. Mm. We're not going to carry you. Wow. So there was a mentality there. Yeah. They understood that. And I would say the second thing, because I grew up in the church, my dad was a pastor, I've been around leaders and uh, church leaders all my life, and I've seen a lot of leaders who did not do that. Mm. You know, they did not have a discipline of their own care. Right. And there is a fine line of soul care can become selfish, you know, right, can become right. selfishness. But you realize if you're not healthy, you're not going to help anybody. Mm. So I think I went that route. I realized how I navigated through this personally would determine my future. Yeah. So I, I became really number priority number one, and the priority number two was my kids. Right, right. They were 21 and 19 at the time. And uh, Davey, I just made a decision. This was me. I made a decision in my mind that until my kids got through this process, mm. another relationship, uh, another option, another, another move, another redirection of my life was secondary until I saw them move through it. Wow. And then the third priority was, you know, the, the, the place where I, I pastored. Yeah, your church. But because I had a team around me, uh, they were well cared for and I was well cared for. Yeah. It, it makes a big difference. I mean, uh, I was the main communicator and yet we had two or three other guys who had done it quite a bit. So it was not like, oh no, we can't make it because Ken's not at his, at his best right now. Right. That's how I process through it in health. Wow. That was, man. So your church, how how big was your church at that time? Yeah, it was about 1,500. 1,500 people yeah. at the time. So you had, there was some infrastructure there yep. that was able to allow you that space to mm-hmm. kind of kind of get away and reprieve. Yeah. Uh, about how long was it before you felt like, all right, I'm, I'm ready to kind of get back into this ministry thing? Because I, I noticed you said that there'd be times that you were, You'd be around the office and you'd do a little bit of work, but the stress levels would would get at you for 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 a little bit, right? And, and I think that 
there's got to there's got to be some something to the fact that that when you walk through trauma and when you walk through pain, something that used to be very minimal now becomes totally exacerbated, exactly. right? It's yeah. an over-exaggerated level of stress yeah. because of what you've already been carrying. Yeah. What was that process like for yeah. you? Uh, I'd have to think back to it, but it was at least a year, I would say, before I anywhere close saddled up again to, yeah. le- to leading. Okay. And about a year, I would, you know, it was an accordion type thing. Mm. I would come and go and help because that was, you know, beneficial. And then I say, same thing with you. I just can't take the, the, the stress. I need some break. So that was I, the was first year. That was the first year. Right, that it would become an accordion. All yeah. Right. And then I think the second year, I started really entering back into it again. Yeah. You know, trying to, trying to be the leader again, trying to really set direction. Was there, it, a, was there a strategy to that, like a counselor that told you to, to go that route? Or was it something that you just kind of felt out? Or what was that yeah, like? Yeah, for me, a lot of this was, was just feeling out. Yeah. You know, okay. Uh, I've always been an uh, in-depth thinker, feeler. I always read a lot. So I read a lot of material. Mm. But a lot of it then did come down to me personally, mm. you know. Speak to that a little bit. As mm-hmm. you're, you know, if you're a thinker, you kind of internalize introspective, right? Uh, to, to what degree is that helpful in your healing process as you're learning from others, as you're grabbing books? Because I felt like that was what, that's what I did. I just kind of read everything that I possibly could and asked questions of everybody too and felt like it helped me a lot. But how do you feel like that that put you at advantage, an advantage to healing as opposed to someone who maybe isn't seeking out that kind of wisdom or seeking out that kind of healing. Yeah, I would say I had three or four concentric circles now that I think about it. And first was myself. Uh-huh. Like I said, you know, very similar. Uh, a thinker, reader, knew myself fairly well, uh, emotionally uh, very, very solid, uh, steady in that area. So I think I had to navigate it based upon what I felt at the time. Uh, but I also had, you know, I also had a group of men that I, I still met with, mm. you know, it was a brotherhood. They were guys in the church. I yeah. wasn't leading them, but we were getting together and going through material together. So that was really, really important. Yeah. I had this team also support. And then I did have one guy and it would be a guy that you would know, but I won't share his name necessarily, but you know, a guy that specializes in that. He was from a distance, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, he would call me and we would stay connected. So I think it, I think it's a combination of, mm. But I think, uh, again, I, I always say people go through grief in different ways. Right. We know there are grief cycles and, you know, we, they've all been studied. But we all, all go through grief in a different way. And I, as I counsel people in this, uh, a person themselves have to decide where they're at and where they're going to go next. Yeah. Hey, I just wanted to take a second and interrupt this interview to tell you about Thriving in Trial, a Nothing is Wasted handbook that I've just released in ebook format. Over the last year of interviewing people on this podcast who have walked through hardship and adversity, I've noticed 10 consistent themes, 10 common denominators, if you will, that have helped people find healing in their pain. I wrote my book, Nothing is Wasted, as a memoir narrating the journey of healing God took me on after my wife, Amanda, was killed in November of 2015. While we're waiting for that book to be released, I wanted to distribute some practical content that could act as a companion to Nothing is Wasted, the book. That's why I wrote Thriving in Trial, to give you practical tools to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. Jump over to davyblackburn.com to download your copy of Thriving in Trial, a Nothing is Wasted handbook. That's so in- insightful, the concentric circles or maybe the intersection of, of three circles, like if you think about the Olympic rings, right? Because mm-hmm. yep. one of the things that I've been thinking through, um, and we haven't even, I don't think we've ever shared this on the podcast, but it falls very parallel with what you were just saying, that at the center of three circles, I believe, is where healing can mm-hmm. happen um, at its best. And that is one, content, right? So what yep. you were researching and learning yourself, mm-hmm. right? The truth right? Because the truth will set you free and then applying that truth. Okay. And then, um, then you've got community. Mm. So you've got the Content people that community. were around you, yep. the people that were, that were the brotherhood that you had, that yep. you weren't leading them. You didn't feel like you're having to pour out to them. They were adding life and adding value to your life as you're doing it with them as well. That's good, healthy community. Yep. And then you had coaching, yep. right? You had somebody who could call in and go, 
Hey, let That's me good. like if you need if if I need to let me put you through the ringer for a second, yeah. right? You're yeah. it's just like a coach would do mm-hmm. if you're like you know doing sit ups on the floor and he's like, come on, one more, let's go, come on, one more. Yeah. Or he also knows the threshold on how far to push you and how to encourage you and how to and at the the center of those three circles is where really great healing happens. It's very excellent. cool that 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 you I've saw never that heard happen that, in your but life. That's, I never heard that, but that's excellent. Huh? That's really cool. Content, okay, content community, content community, coaching and coaching. Yeah content community and coaching really really good that's like i I feel like that's where just transformation happens in Mm -hmm. general yeah speaking of all these things that were in your life Mm -hmm. during this fallout season were these disciplines that were also in your life before it happened yes talk to me about the importance of that yeah a lot of people ask me that they would say you know how did you make it through this and there's there's some things i will share you know in just a second i think but uh but i i have to go back to say that i had a lot of the foundations in my life Mm. Uh, ahead of time, I say, you know, you can't really put, uh, you can't try to cover the windows on your house in the middle of a hurricane. Wow. And that's what a lot of people try to do in the middle of a storm. And I don't want to say it's too late, but it's almost too late. Yeah. There there are certain foundations, you know, that I did have. I had good disciplines in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I had good community in my life. Uh, I was, uh, I think I had a good identity with who I was, a, a son with a father in my life. Uh, I had mm. good meditation, the word of my life, et cetera. So I, I had purity in my life. Yeah. Uh, so I, I had built some things that when this heavy weight hit me, the foundations didn't crack. Wow. Uh, and so I think that's a, that's a big, big difference in it. Uh, I don't know how to tell people how to do that. Yeah. Except for to know, to say, adversity is going to come to all of us. Right. Prepare down, don't wait till later. Yeah. And do the basic things that will help us to build a life of longevity yeah. and staying power. Yeah, that's good. No matter where we're at in life and le- or life or leadership. Yeah. So it's really important. We, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells this parable where he says, the wise man built his house on the rock, the foolish man built his house on the sand. And when the storms came. Exactly. Not if the storms come yep. in your life, but hey, when they come, they're going to come, then there's going to be one result of the one who built the foundation on the rock and one result of the one who built the foundation on the sand. And which one do you want to be, right? And what he says in that, it's interesting, what he says in that is the difference between the two mm-hmm. is going to be not only those who hear these right. words, but those who practice them. Put them into practice. That's so good. You know. Yep. And you're an athlete. I grew up playing basketball, et cetera. So the foundations of not just hearing the content. Right. But practicing them right. so that they are a normal part of our life, it's, it makes a big, big difference. We've often said this phrase that I think, I don't know who coined it, but Pastor, I heard it first from Pastor Levi Lusco. He said, train for the trial that you're not yet in. Mm, well, that's so true. Because everybody, it, everybody listen to that if you would. I don't want to preach to anybody, but that is so, <laughs> so true. Yeah. Well, I mean, the reality is, oh, is my there's, goodness. there's not a whole lot different that you put into your life in healing than there should be in your life already. Right? It's more of a preventive maintenance that you need to have in your life all the time so that when the trial hits, when the storm hits, it doesn't, it doesn't um, devastate you as much. Now, it's devastating. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It will turn your world upside down, but, but your house is not going to fall. Your foundation is not going to be shaken, right? Yeah. It's, it's going to be something that ends up, because of the, the things that you put in place, before, because of what you're practicing when you're in peacetime, so mm-hmm. to speak, yeah. when the war breaks out, it's just muscle memory, and you're just continuing to walk in that, and those are the things that actually catalyze healing as well. Exactly. Let me tell you the two things I would say I added to the foundations yeah. when this happened. And the first one would be, um, I was somehow aware, and there's a little bit of history in this we can maybe go back to if we need to, but I was, I was somehow, when this happened, I somehow was aware that this would be the most life-shaping experience mm. that I had ever faced. Yeah. And that became the grid which pulled me through all those three years yeah. into 10 years to say, okay, this is going to shape me. Mm. It's not a matter of if, it's only a matter of how. Yeah. And so that began to pull me through to say, okay, if I got to go through this, which I've got to go through, right? there's no other denial, yeah. there's no other way around that. Exactly. If I'm going to go through this, I want to make sure that it helps me to become more of who I want to become mm. and what I want to accomplish. Mm. That became what pulled me through the whole thing. So I already had the foundations, right? but the, the, the forward looking was, I want this to shape me more and more. Right. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. So I, wanted, I want this to shape me more and more into the image of his son. Right. 
And I knew this would probably do more of that in my life than anything else I'd experienced. Yeah, yeah. Did God cause this to happen? No, no, I don't believe this. Would he use it to shape me into the image of his son yeah. and lead me further into my destiny? I knew the answer was yes. Absolutely. So that gave me a pliableness to embrace what God wanted to do in my life yeah. through this pain and through this uh, life-shaping experience. Yeah. That, was, that was the first thing that I added to it. Man, that's good. And the, I think the second thing that I added to it is that uh, I kept my dreams alive. Yeah, wow. I kept my dreams alive. Wow. Talk about that because yeah. we just talked about earlier how it seemed like your dreams died. What You know, how did yeah. those dreams get kept alive? I've always been a dreamer. Uh, and uh, six months after my late wife, Debbie, passed, a young man from uh, uh, Virginia Beach came to see me. He heard mm. of my story. And we had a mutual friend. He wanted to come to town. And his story was that uh, he had been married, I think, a year. They were going away on their anniversary. He had worked double shifts, so he had enough money to take her away. Yeah. Uh, she was expecting. He, he fell asleep on the way to the retreat center they, oh were, gonna, they were driving to, ran into the back of a semi, and killed her oh my gosh. and the unborn child. Wow. Now he's sitting in front of me at a restaurant. Mm asking me what would I tell him. Hmm. And we were going through all the conversation like we're going through here. And then we went down by, by the beach and we took a, took a walk down by Lake Erie. And I remember I was sitting on a big rock and I, after I had talked with him about his, you know, his feeling of pain and regret and all his, his crisis of faith and everything he was going through, one of the things I said to him, I said, his name was Mike. And I said, Mike, one of the things that will keep you alive is you have to keep your dreams alive. Hmm. And uh, my son, who's a musician, uh, not too long ago, he his wife took him to see Bob Dylan. Yeah, and uh, he's a great he's a great uh, guitar player, and he never he he's you know listened to all of Dylan's stuff and read all of his biographies, and he's tracked him, and and he went, and I said, and I asked him on the phone, I said, what did you think about the concert? He said, Dad, man, Dylan, he's you know he's a he's a road warrior. He he looks he looks weary, mm. you know, from the years, but he said when he started to play. He came alive. Hmm. And that's what I found in my own life. I still had dreams yeah. that were there that seemed to have now died, but right. I knew somehow, in some way, whether it was those or others, right. something would be resurrected through this. And so yeah. I kept dreaming. Yeah. So I would say those are the two things, is I realized that this would shape me. Hmm. How is it going to shape me? And that I had kept my dreams alive. Yeah. What's going to come out of this? Wow. How is God going to use this? What's he going to do next in my life? Because many mm. people get in, you know, they get into despondency, yep. despair, depression, and it's tough to get out of it those is, things. Yeah. And I've, I've had those days. I had those days as well. Mm. But dreaming, mm. you know, a dreaming will keep us alive. Yeah, that's so good. I think there's a lot of people that maybe don't know how to dream. Uh -huh. don't, 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 maybe they've never been encouraged in that or that God is a God that he gives us dreams uh -huh. for a reason. And that's to continue to push us forward. I'll, I'm so glad you're saying this because it's even making sense of um, just a lot of things that I've felt over the past two years and, you know, trying to keep my dreams alive mm -hmm. and even seeing some of the, the, the fuel of my dreams get, you know, the fire get stoked hotter and hotter, even as a result of some of this stuff, which is very weird to me. You know, because at first when Amanda passed, I was like, man, all of this stuff feels dead. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget when we first started the church, we went on vacation um, to Hilton Head and we were reading the the um, the book Circle Maker by mm -hmm. Mark Batterson. Right. And yep. so I did this exercise with Amanda. I was like, hey, let's spend the afternoon just dreaming and let's write down all of our like lifelong dreams, you know. And of course there was going to be so many of those that we did together, right? The, this is what we want to uh -huh. be able to accomplish, accomplish together. together. Right. And so we came back and we wrote all this list of, of stuff. And I still have that to this day. I still have this list. Um, and I remember pulling it out after Amanda passed, probably six months afterwards and started looking at some of them and even saw that some of those dreams had either already come true way earlier than I thought, or I could see how God was pushing my life toward those dreams um, as a result of Amanda's death. Uh -huh. So there's a lot of stuff I've had to kind of reconcile within that. We don't have time to necessarily get, get into that. But I think what I've taken from that, and, and I think what's very interesting and unique about you sitting here at this table is that here I'm sitting in front of somebody who is 
years into this journey who's saying, hey, keep the dreams alive because God's going to continue to do something really powerful through this. And it's an, even encouraging me going, okay, I can lean into this, that God's using this tragedy to even catapult me toward the destiny he put in my heart a long time exactly. ago. Exactly. One of the surprises, I, I've used a statement. I think it's original. I hope it is because <laughs> I think it's a good statement. Our past is the raw material to redemptive future. Wow, wow. Our past is the raw material to redemptive future. Yeah, that's so good. And so uh, one of the things that was the biggest has been the biggest surprise for me now 14 years yeah. you know, after this tragedy has happened in my life, how that God has used this to propel mm. me toward my destiny, not away from it. Mm-hmm. Now, if you'd asked me that 14 years ago, I would have never dreamed that or yep. connected those dots. Yep. But now looking back, it is without a doubt, Davey, that I would not be doing what I'm doing today. Yeah. Doing this podcast, helping leaders live well, helping people focus their life, right? Living from the inside out. I mean, all the things that I—that's my my life message now. Yep. If you cut me open, that's what's going to come out. Yep. There's no way I would be doing this if I hadn't experienced what I experienced 14 years ago. Man. So the whole thing about dreams and about uh, God will use these things if we will work with Him. Yeah. Now that's our choice. Yeah. You know, we have to we have to be willing to work with Him and not become bitter and you know, despondent yep. and all those type of things. We will have times and seasons. But if we can believe that somehow God will use this and will push us in a more purposeful way yep. and not away from those, we will be shocked. And that's that I, I would say my life has more meaning and purpose 14 years later than it's ever had. But when you walk into the valley, you don't realize yeah. that. Yeah, it's you don't have, that. You don't realize how that's going to happen. Yeah. But now looking back and putting the dots together, it's like, wow. Wow. Yeah. Unbelievable how you've used my past as the yep. raw material to now my redemptive future. Man, that's so And good. I'm living in it. Yeah, because I feel like oftentimes we're guilty of trying to of, to forget our past. Yes. Right? We even preach that mm, sometimes. It's like, right. hey, don't let your past hold you back. Right. You know, get right. past your past. Forget right. your past. Right? right? That's kind of the message that gets in, ingrained in yeah. us because sometimes our past can be full of so much pain and shame and guilt. But the reality is, is God doesn't want us to forget our past. He, he wants us to, he wants to redeem our past. He, he wants us to even like remember our past and and see how he's redeeming it. He's changing the story so then we can share exactly. what you said, yeah. God's story of redemption in that. Yeah, I do a lot of life focus focus coaching. Yeah. And when people, when I take people through the, the mapping of their life, usually their past, whether it's been good or bad or maybe right. both, that's, in, that's, that's where the DNA is of mm. us now helping them figure out their future. That's good. Yep. Most of our meaning and purpose can be found in our past. In our past. Even as ugly as it may be, yep. we can find it in our past. Yeah, that's so good. And uh, I've experienced the same thing. So maybe the trick as we're moving to the future and toward our destiny is just to not forget our past, just not focus on our past, mm-hmm. but to let our past fuel us into the destiny that God has for us. Yeah. All right. So you wrote this book called Staying Power, which was a very profound book for me. I remember when we mm, met, I yeah. got on an airplane a couple days later, flew back to Indianapolis, read the entire book on the airplane, was highlighting and underlining everything. And um, I thought what was so profound about it was hearing someone who is a lot further along on the journey saying, hey, here's how I stayed in the game, mm-hmm. right? Because my counselor said to me, Davey, that the, the, the game for you now is to um, is to finish strong and finish well. Yeah. Because most pastors, 90% of pastors don't finish in ministry. But most people, when they walk through something like this, they do become despondent. They become full of bitterness. It actually shapes their life in a much different trajectory than what I want my life to go. I want my life, I want this to be something that, like what we've been talking about, fuels me toward and catalyzes me toward this destiny of the dreams that God's put in my heart. And I want it to contribute to me, one, building the kingdom a lot more and building my righteousness a lot more, Uh becoming more and more like Christ, right? Matthew 6.33 says, seek first his kingdom Kingdom, and his righteousness. If that's the end goal of this whole thing, that's what the two things I want this thing to accomplish for me, Uh because God's producing something in me and and for me in this. So um, how did you continue to stay in the game? What was the staying power or the nuances of that, all the different aspects of the staying power for you? Because now you're 14 years into this journey and you're you're sitting here in a very with a lot of strength and courage and faith. 
And I mean, from what it looks like, you're going to be doing this until until you go see Jesus, yeah. right? I hope so. I love right. doing. I love doing it. Yeah. Right. So, what what are the keys to that? I think looking back, uh, I think I got set up. Hmm. Uh, and here's what I mean by that. In in, in 2000, year 2000, uh, and this accident happened in 2004. I kind of hit a personal wall as a leader. I was in my early 40s. I've been a part of a fairly, you know, growing, successful, yep. fruitful church. But in, even in my own life and in my own leadership, I began to realize that there was a disconnect between what was happening in me mm. and the expectation of what I was put, supposed to put out, you know, wow, uh, yeah. outside of me. Yep. Mm. And I kept feeling this, uh, this gap occurring. And so I began to realize that uh, something's not right in me. Mm. And what is it? And can I continue to play this game? I wasn't in trouble. I wasn't, you know, messing around. Right. But I just knew, I knew that it wasn't authentic between, again, what I was projecting yeah. and really what was happening in me. That led me on a journey of my own uh, inner life and authenticity mm. four years before this ever happened. So wow. now looking back, I kind of realized how, you know, the convergence of these things occurred. And I just began to ask myself the question as a leader, you know, Really, who was I becoming? Mm-hmm. How self-aware was I myself? Mm-hmm. What religious games were I certain to play? Was I certain to play? Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the pressure of leadership making me look like? Mm-hmm. You know, and I asked the question: Was I becoming transformed or twisted? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, you know, leadership, especially in the church world, it can, that can really occur. Yeah. So I tell you what happened with me: I began to find some new spiritual wells that I didn't grow up in my church tradition. I grew up pretty okay. much classic Pentecostal. That was my background yep. that, uh, that's expanded a lot since then. But that was kind of—so I knew prayer, fasting, worship, prayer, fasting, worship, right. prayer, fasting, worship. <laughs> on repeat. Uh, on repeat. Yeah. And uh, those things, although they were foundational, and of course I would never play them down, they were no longer feeding where I was at. Hmm. And I began to find some spiritual disciplines that have always been historic parts of the church, but I was not familiar with. Hmm. Silence solitude, journaling, mm-hmm. those type of things. And I began to find a new well there for me. Wow. So as I went into those new wells, not knowing what was going to happen four years later, uh, it really began finding what was feeding me. So I would say one of the things for me with staying power is that simple, ongoing relationship with Jesus. Mm. Not as a leader. Matter of fact, when Debbie passed, one of the things that I went through was uh, I call it uh, reevaluating the gospel. Mm. I feel like I had become, even myself, pretty much a consumer Christian. Wow. That I was in this thing for more of what I could get out of it. It was so subtle. Wow. Because that's not my theology. I don't really believe that. Right. But I began to realize that's how I had been living. And when this happened, I had to ask myself a very central question Will I follow Jesus? Mm no matter what. Not the system. Yep. Not, I had good theology, not even my theology. Um, not all the things that are built around it. You know, we, we have a lot of things built around the, the following Jesus these mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. And I had to go back, for me, Davey, I had to go back to the basics. Wow. I got saved at the age of seven, you know, so I'd been, I had been in this journey yeah. a long time. Yeah. And it just kind of threw all those things off of me mm-hmm. and came me back to a very simplistic following Jesus, loving him, he mm-hmm. loves me. And it really got me out of a religious mentality and a church mentality yep. and brought me back to the basics. So I think for, for me, that's one thing that in staying power, we have to do that. We have to yeah. a lot of times just go back, relook at the basics. Who am I becoming? What is this making me? Right. Am I really authentic? Uh, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know. I mean, am I really back to that? One of the things right now in my life, I'm 61, that I'm experiencing in the last couple of years is that I'm just back to, I'm a, fa- I'm a son who has a good father. Mm. It's, it's just back to trust. Yeah, yeah. You know, he loves me, I love him, he's leading me. This is fun again. Right. And it's kind of getting rid of all the other package that sometimes is built up around yeah, it in that's the church good. world. So I would say for me, that was one of the, those things that's just back to basics. Mm. True self-awareness. Okay. I talked to a lot of, lot of leaders that when I begin to ask them, how are they doing? Mm. It goes right over their head. Mm. They begin to tell me what series they're on. 
<laughs> what they're studying, what new, you know, revelation they've got. Yeah. You know, and, I, and when that happens, I immediately know, whoop, went right over their head. Mm. They have no idea what we're talking about. But when we get to self-awareness, self-awareness is about what's happening in me. Mm-hmm. Who am I becoming? Yep. Uh, what seeds am I sowing, good or bad? Because they're all going to grow up, you know, yep. from the inside out. Wow. Uh, so that self-awareness, I think, is extremely important yeah. to staying power, to staying in it, just pausing long enough over a certain period of time to say, okay, what's happening to me? Mm. Where am I going? Who am I coming? Which way am I directing? I would say that's a major one, I think, for, for staying power. There's there's several more. Yeah. What do you... but, but through this tragedy, God had already taken me there. Yeah. I was already being set up to this. Let's just relook at everything. It was that type of right. thing. Right, right. Let's just kind of go back and relook at everything. So did you just find yourself like continuing through that vein then once the tragedy happened and you were able to just kind of sit in some of these, you know, silence and solitude and um, did that get, uh, you know, you heard the phrase silence is deafening. Mm -hmm. And I felt that way, especially immediately after Amanda passed away. It's like I couldn't sit in silence because it was deafening. Mm -hmm. And yet I felt like I needed to, like I I felt like that was the thing that was going to, but that was the thing that was going to really contribute to my healing more than anything was just to to lean into that difficulty of having to sit with myself, by myself, with the Lord, you know? Yeah, Parker Palmer, who's a man well-known for kind of soul care or some of his writings, and he gives a great metaphor. He said that the silence and solitude, it's like— uh, it's like it causes your soul to come out of hiding. Mm, wow. He says it's like if you if you hunt— if you go squirrel hunting or deer hunting or whatever, you got to be quiet. Yep. If the animal's going to come out. Yeah. And he says silence and solitude does the very same thing. When we get silent, it does two things. It allows our soul to come out of hiding. Wow. Because as leaders, we stay busy. Yep. Go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. Busy, 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 busy. And we oftentimes don't really know what's happening under the waterline. Yeah. Because we got a ne- next meeting and then there's a next Sunday's coming around and all mm-hmm. those things that we do. So silent, silence and solitude causes what is happening in my soul. That's good. What are the bad seeds yep. or the good seeds? Are my dreams still alive? Mm-hmm. So it does that. It causes our soul to come alive. And the second thing I, I say is it causes the lover of our soul to come out and speak. Mm. You know, God can speak to us anytime. We know that. Right. But there's something about being in silence and hearing what the Father wants to say again. And when those two things meet, what's happening in our soul— Yep. And the voice of the Father, it will give us a freshness. And I say this, it will cause us uh, to be a voice and not an echo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is we're not just saying what everybody else is saying. Yep. It's not just the latest book or the latest podcast or the latest whatever. When that person stands up to speak, man or woman, doesn't make any difference, and you begin to hear them, you can, be, you can realize there's a voice. They've actually, yep. Because that's wow. authentic right. in their life, coming out of their life. Right versus an echo. And yeah, an echo may be good. great communicator, mm-hmm. great humor, mm-hmm. great story, great move the crowd, but you can sense there's a gap between what's really happening there and what's wow. really being projected. Wow. So I think that's why silence and solitude is so important and self-awareness yeah. for a leader is extremely, I think it's the first mm-hmm. rock. It's the first uh, domino. That's good. You got to stop long enough to figure out where you're where you're at before you can figure out what do I need to where, do to make sure I'm moving in the right direction. I think this is why people said that Jesus taught with one who had authority. Mm, totally, he wasn't an echo of anybody else's totally. teaching at the time. You're exactly right. He was coming from a, a, a different place, and that's that's man, that's so true. That's so give, true. Let me give you the second thing with staying power yep. that I found uh, is identity. Yeah. Identity. That's good. So I would say self-awareness, the identity is the second one for, was for me. Okay. So explain to me us, that journey yeah, of identity. It takes us a while. I mean, I think it's just normal. It takes us a while to kind of figure out who we are. Yeah, your voice. I was talking to a guy. I actually went to a workshop with a guy who does a lot of uh, counseling with, with pastors, Christian leaders. And before he moved to one state, before he was in a certain state, he, he lived in California, and he actually uh, used to counsel with a lot of uh, actors and actresses. Mm-hmm. And he said when he came to start counseling pastors— he found the very same issues mm. that we are expected to perform so yep. often. Yep. How was the sermon? How's the leading? Is the church growing? What yep. does he look like? He wasn't that good today. You know, so, and we, we actually get away from the identity of who we are. Wow. And that first identity, obviously, is a son and a daughter. Right. And then it's 
it is our experiences, it is, it is our gifts, it is our accomplishments, it is our desires. So there's concentric circles, but always coming back to, you know, do we know who we are? Mm. And I think a leader who has identity issues is always going to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. I'll let me say that again. <laughs> I think a leader who has identity issues is always going to get in yep. trouble. Yep. Because we're looking for them, um, we're looking for approval, you know, uh, from just many different ways right. instead of, this is who God's made me. This is my gifts. These are my sweet spots. Mm-hmm. This is my temperament. You know, and we can always grow. I'm not saying we can't, but we're not trying to be like the guy down the street or yeah. the woman across the street or, you know, the church down the road or uh, we, we know who we are. That's good. And that will really help us in the staying power. Yeah. And so, it's not built around who, what, we, what we do. Yeah, what we yeah, do is or, not necessarily what defines our identity yeah, or who we are. Or if the are. church goes up and down. Yeah, exactly. That's a good indication I found in my own life. How, how, how are you I, doing? Yeah. How am I doing my identity? Yeah. Oh, we've had a great season when I'm good. Yeah. How about when we have the down season? Yeah. Do I exactly. still have a security right. in who I am? Right. Big, well, big you, you think about like Jesus's life, right? Mm-hmm. At age 30, he starts his ministry before he ever starts doing Do anything. Thing. Right. He gets baptized. And his father declares his identity over him. You are my good son. You are my son, my, yeah. my beloved, yeah. whom I am well pleased. Right. Right. I was the other day, I mean, we're struggling with Weston right now with um, uh, pooping in his pants. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's trying to, we're trying to potty train. He's great. He does great <laughs> right. with peeing, but pooping, man, uh, he just struggles. My grandson's on the uh, front end of that. He's starting the peeing process right now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it is so difficult. It's so difficult. So I find myself getting so flustered with him. And when he does it, he knows now that it's a frustrating thing mm-hmm. for me. And so he gets really ashamed. Like you can see the shame in his eyes when he does it. And he's, but there's something, I don't know what it is mentally or emotionally with boys, but they say that like, that they feel like their poop is a part of them or something. I don't know how all that works. I'm just like, hey, dude, just sit on the toilet. There's probably go, some other podcast for this know. we can find yeah, out. For sure. That. But here's what happened the other day. He, I looked um, at him, and I just kind of realized he was, like, feeling really down about this, a lot of mm. shame. And I just said, hey, buddy, you know, Daddy loves you even if you poop and pee in your pants. Mm-hmm. And then his eyes lit up, and mm-hmm. he looked up at me like that was a shock to him. He goes, really? You, you love me if mm-hmm. I pee or poop in my pants? Mm-hmm. And it like, man, that just yeah. that hurt my heart so bad. Because I'm like, yes, your father loves you no matter what. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what you do or what you don't do. I love you because of who you are. Yeah. And who you are in regards to me, you're my son yeah. with whom I am well pleased. Yeah. I'm not pleased at anything that you do or don't do. You're not adding a whole lot of value to my household yeah. right now, yeah. you know. But I'm pleased with you. Yeah. And I think that's where we have to get to and the basics. Back of, to the basics. Yep, back to the basics. Yeah. Um, and I think that right there also informs how we're going to walk through seasons of especially like losing a spouse. Because mm-hmm. if your identity was built in that person, mm-hmm. you begin to see idolatry come crop up inside of you and it manifests itself in how, you know, how you lash out in the healing and or not healing process, right? right, right the, yeah. how, how bitterness begins to form in your heart or how callousness begins to form or how, yeah. because your identity was in somebody else rather than in who you are in Christ. No doubt it's extremely difficult to heal from that, but it starts what you said, like what you said, with yeah. your identity being in Christ. Who am I? Who yeah. am I? Aside from this situation, aside from everything that's going on, who am I in the Lord? Yeah. That's so good. So there's two things, self-awareness, right? Some of these practices, right. identity was a big issue. Is there anything else that, that really contributes to that staying power? These are kind of the, the bedrock, yeah. right? Um, the, the kind of the, the ethereal stuff. What were some of the practical things that played out for you in regards to this, in regards to being self-aware, Knowing who I am, what did you what did you do from there to um, to, to 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 put yourself on a tra- trajectory of healing and and staying in the game? Well, I think uh, you know my this, my back to my wife's story. It, it was three years. Uh, I was a widower for three years. Mm-hmm. The, her passing had happened. We just moved into a large uh, facility that I met. I, had, I was under a lot of pressure uh, in leading in leading that. And then uh, just day in and day out, and then God in his goodness, you know, mm-hmm. brought a relationship back up to my life. Yeah. And what I began to see is my kids, it took them about three years. This was my timeline. Others are different. It took them about three years to get prepared to move to their next 
My daughter mm. came to me, who would have been 23 at the time, said, Dad, I think I want to move to Nashville. There was a ministry down there she'd always wanted to work yeah. for. She said, I think it's time for me to do that. Within a couple of weeks, my son came to me and said, uh, Dad, I think I found the girl I'm supposed to ask wow. to marry me. And it was like two weeks later, a uh, lady showed up in our church who moved from California. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, she knew me from a distance because she'd heard my testimony. And mm-hmm. uh, we have a whole story that sometimes we, sometime we, maybe mm-hmm. we can tell. And you know, within um, six months, my heart turned because mm-hmm. I had not been looking for anyone and was not going that route at all. And uh, God led me into that, and you know, so He restored my relationship. Wow. And then, and then, almost immediately, uh, I knew I was supposed to leave Cleveland. And again, unexpectedly, He picked me up and moved me to Minneapolis, wow. away from everything, just the two of us together. Yep, our kids were all the house. There was no family around. There was no remembering of what we'd had for 25 years. Yep. We didn't really do that on purpose, but looking back, there was a purpose to it. And we were able to rebuild our life. And uh, and I think I was able to practice some of these things that I had, had learned right. or was learning in those four years. Again, just back to basics, uh, loving Jesus, Jesus loving me, not being so caught up in the church. If it happens, it happens. Not yeah. that I wasn't working hard, but my identity wasn't into it. Yeah, It was almost like I use this illustration. It was like now as a grandfather. Mm. At the time, I wasn't a grandfather naturally. But this was my second go around in leading mm-hmm. a church. So you're 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 much easygoing. Yeah, right. If it happens, You've it happens. You've kind of seen everything. <laughs> We've seen everything, you know. So you're let's like, not try that. Let's do this. Yeah. Let's keep it simple. Mm-hmm. You know, let's let's let God do what he wants to do. Let's mm-hmm. stay true to who we are. And so I think for me, I think there was just a back to the basics that I now live for I really the last 14 years. And Davey, I would really say, and I think this is honest, because of I stripped a lot of that away. Yeah. I understand the church world. I grew up in the church world. I'm a church guy. Right. I still travel and speak at a lot of churches and do a lot of stuff like that. But for a while, I was kind of, quote, able to reevaluate yep. the life of a leader as a pastor. Right. Kind of, kind of um, disassemble that, mm-hmm. as well as step back and really look at the church. Mm. And so I think now um, I'm in the church, but I'm not totally surrounded by the church all the time. So I think there's a freshness of just, hey, let's relook at things. Yeah. Davey, who are you becoming? Mm. Don't tell me how much church is growing. I appreciate that. I want right. to hear about that later. I'd love to hear, you know, I'm glad things are happening, but who are you becoming? Mm. What's happening in your life? You know, wow. what's God saying to you? What seeds there? What's below the surface line? You know, mm. who do you want to become in 10 years? Mm. And the same thing really with the church world. I mean, I think the church, we all know that the church is going through major changes in our culture. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the last chapters in the book on staying power that you were talking about, it was was talking about we have to reassess the church. Uh, healthy leaders build health, healthy spiritual communities, yeah. but unhealthy churches and systems also build unhealthy leaders. Yeah, wow. And with the dropout rate, fallout rate, checkout rate among pastors today, it's at all-time high and increasing every year. We have to stop long enough to ask, is there something wrong with the system? Yeah. Wow, I think it's a. I think it's a. I think it goes both ways. Yeah, for sure. I think we have leaders who need more shaping in their own life. Yep. But I think the system also breaks many leaders as well. So mm-hmm. I think it goes both ways. Man. So there's a lot of I can talk about about staying power, but yeah. somehow by God's grace, He has taken me back to the basics, uh, rebuilt my life, mm. give me a great marriage. You know, I thought I would never fall in love again. Mm. What would that feel like? Yep. Would I feel wrong? Would this be dirty? Would this, you know? Yep. And for me, I can just tell you after three years, it was like he didn't just turn a chapter. Mm. It was a whole new volume or a wow. whole new book. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, this is now the next part of my life. Yeah. And re- re- rebuilding my marriage and then uh, rebuilding a, a ministry that I would have dreamed about 20 yep. years ago that I'm not experiencing, but I wouldn't be experiencing if I hadn't walked through it. Mm. And that's just how redemptive, how good God is. That's uh, so good. If we'll walk with him. Yeah. So <clears throat> I was thinking about this today. I was actually listening to a podcast of someone who they were further along in their journey too. And they were telling their life story, um, but they were telling these big highlights of their life story and lowlights of their life story. Um, and they were telling it like, well, you know, so, that, you know, in this year we had, uh, or I think this person actually said, I had three kids in a matter of three years. And so they're telling these like, 
things that as someone my age, if I have three kids in three years and I'm telling the story, I'm telling a lot more of the details of those three years because I only have a little bit of life, right? As opposed to someone with a lot of life experience in your age, you're kind of telling some bigger highlights and lowlights of mm -hmm. your story. You're able to almost see a bigger picture of what yeah. God is doing. Yeah. And I think that gives you that voice of, like what you said, a grandfather mm -hmm. into the lives of younger leaders. Yeah. Let's say right now there's someone, a, a young leader, who's thinking about being done, right? Whether it's ministry or whether whatever it is, they're thinking about giving up. There's um, maybe, maybe a... Uh, someone who's walking through some kind of trial or pain, they're thinking about kind of giving up whether on life or just giving up on the the dreams that, that, that they felt like were in their heart before this thing happened. What would you say to them today? If you're sitting across the table from them, how would you encourage them in this moment right now as they're thinking about giving up? I would say, um, to, to repeat probably what I've said, this this can be, the biggest life-shaping experience that mm. you've ever had. If you can gain that perspective, it may not look, look like it now, mm -hmm. but if you can gain that perspective, uh, I would say I would I would use some of the C's we talked about earlier. Yeah. You know, uh, I would definitely, who's around you? Mm -hmm, your community. Do you have good people around you that will lead you in the direction you want to go? Right. And Not uh, like Job's friends. That exactly. Be like, you know, but, yeah. but people who are going to help to point you to Jesus and point you to your future and yeah. point you to your, yep. And then I think you need somebody, uh, whether it's a coach or counselor, maybe both, mm. but uh, that will, that's already ahead of you yeah, it's good. and can lead you in that direction. Yeah, I think that uh, many of us, it's very difficult for us to move into the future without somebody that can help us get mm -hmm. there who's already there. Yeah. So uh, I would encourage people to try to keep hope alive. Man, hope is so, so important. Yeah. And if that's, again, if that's dreams— if that's going back and relooking at some of those dreams, if that's uh, thinking about some of the dreams you've had in your past, whatever it would be, but uh, I would encourage people in those areas. Man, that's so good. Ken, it's been awesome talking with you. I've had a great, great time. Appreciate that. Thanks so much for, yeah. for being on this podcast. This is Ken Roberts. He's got two fantastic books that we'll put a link on the podcast page so you can find out how to get these books, but Staying Power and what's the other book? That, Unexpected. Unexpected. Navigating Life's Unforeseen Turns. And that's one that's written a lot about, you know, your, your, Debbie's passing. Yeah, yeah. Your, the passing of your, of your first wife and, yeah. and the, the, the process of healing through all of that. Staying, staying power is written about how to just, um, finish strong and finish well mm -hmm. in this game, not just life, but ministry, leadership, all kinds of, um, great insight into that. And so, man, thanks so much for sharing your it's wisdom. It's been with great us. being with you. Appreciate it. And I appreciate you and appreciate what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for joining us on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast today. Um, had an awesome interview. We're really excited yeah. mm -hmm. um, that you guys choose to continue to join us um, for these interviews and just that we can share stories and, and listen to people's stories yep. and learn from them. So um, if there's anything that we can do for you, any questions that you might have, anything we can do to serve you, we'd love to hear from you. And you can reach out to us at hello at resonateindy.com. Yeah. Yeah. And as always, thank you, Sleeping at Last, for providing us the music. You can download or stream his music anywhere music can be downloaded and streamed. And uh, we just appreciate the friendship that we have with you. And, man, we appreciate the friendship we have with you guys who are listening. Yep. Our family, our community, the Nothing Is Wasted community. That just sounds good. It has a good ring to it, doesn't sounds it? It's pretty nice. Pretty awesome. Well, thanks, Nothing Is Wasted community, for joining in. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>